So welcome everybody to today's episode of the Independent Teacher Podcast and I am joined by Dr. Martin Lee. Welcome Martin. Well good evening. Could you just begin by giving our listeners just a brief overview of your career but I'm really interested to know when and how your love of music actually developed and then we'll come on to talk about teaching. So I've spent most of my career trying to avoid um, being a, a teacher. I spent the first 15 years of, of, of my career being an academic and a performer, um, doing some conducting, some quite high level conducting. And the reason I avoided this was my mum, who was a very fine teacher herself, I think, working with special needs children. She always said, don't be a teacher. She could always point out the, the downsides of teaching. But unfortunately, the upsides just became utterly in, inescapable. So there I was actually as a performing musician working at quite a high level with some, some marvellous people with, you know, um, Charles McHarris and Roger Norrington and, and performing on recordings and at the Edinburgh Festival. But actually it was the example of these extraordinary people, both as musicians and as teachers, that actually became the most telling thing. They were so generous with their knowledge and their time. They were so invested in getting the best out of people. And me as a young musician, they were so committed to actually helping me become the best musician I possibly could be that their example I just thought was completely inspiring and it was really the reason I went into teaching that and the girls of Headington School where I went as instrumental teacher and I always say I had a good education there's no two ways about it but actually the, the biggest education was to teach those extraordinary girls and to have to work out the way I thought about music and the way I communicated passion for it where did the, my love of music come from well it was Sunday afternoon um, it was a record player and it was a knitting needle and it was Eric Kleiber's recording of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, which I used to conduct along to when I when I was a boy. That amazing, amazing um, period of performance, which was so exciting and I just wanted to be part of it. It was the, the, the live, the energy, it was the insight and the intellect behind it. And I thought, I just really want to be part of that. That's how music started with me. And in terms of your career, what's that? trajectory being like as I say I've, I've already becoming teacher for a very very long time until it became inescapable it became clear that there was a vocation there and I really had to be in a school working as a musician with young people um, and so I, I started out as director of music um, at a choir school down in Cambridgeshire which was a, a wonderful experience and then King Edwards came calling and I'm afraid the the music at King Edwards is, is such an extraordinary thing I couldn't say no and I've been here for 10 years now. Yeah yeah you've written this book Becoming an Outstanding Music Teacher and it's just been published. Now why did you decide to write that particular book and then if you could just take us through its inception to publication that journey that that you've been on as well. It's It took about two years to write but those two years were spread over about four years because the pandemic interrupted everything and all teachers worked harder during the pandemic than perhaps we've ever worked before. So that was put on hold. The journey to writing was, was well, it was a twofold thing, I think. One was generosity. When I became a teacher, I wasn't a trained teacher, but I spent a lot of time in the back of some wonderful teachers' classrooms and receiving material from them and recommendations from them. And this is how you teach that I'm in a real sort of apprenticeship so part of it was the paying back of that that debt some of the materials in the book which I present are my own version of their materials I feel as if I should pass on the ideas that they gave to me so generously 
um, to other people and make it more widely available. So some of them, the ideas are mine and some are certainly not mine. And I credit them, uh, these extraordinary teachers who, who I learned from. But the other thing was, I did feel a responsibility as a teacher to become the best teacher I possibly could be. And my way of doing that is to read. So I read very widely. I read Patty and William and Doug Lamoff and Bjork and Sweller and Hirsch and Cohen, you know, all of the, the pantheon of great writers who over the last 20 years have taught us so much and changed education um, so much. And I thought, well, this material is absolutely brilliant. It's sensible, it's grounded in, in research, it's presented in such a way that I understand it and I can absolutely take it on board. However, I don't quite know how it works as a musician. I had that sense of all this, these wonderful ideas, but I didn't know how they actually would manifest themselves or could be made to work in a music classroom. So I took those ideas and I really wanted to explore how I could make that extraordinary research practical for a music classroom. And so the exercise really was actually, again, to improve my own teaching, to say, well, how am I going to actually do this? Um, and that was that was where it came from. And and can you just talk us through some of the content of the, the book? Don't, don't give too much away because we want people to, to buy it, obviously, or to download it. But just a, a brief overview. The book has lots of different sections to it. Part of it is... Um, an introduction to music itself, because actually that solid understanding of the basics of music is, is something that actually I found I didn't have and I wanted to work out for my myself. There's a, there's a big chapter on mastery, which I, I'm very keen on in, in music, showing how the technique of mastery, again, an example of something which I've seen enacted by Mark McCourt really brilliantly in maths, um, see how this could actually be made to work in, in music. And then there are quite a lot of suggestions that I mentioned before of things that can be taught at certain stages. Um, here's a year seven music project. Here's a GCSE music project. Here's a sixth form uh, music project. But it also goes, of course, into the other side of being a music teacher or a musician in a school, how to work as a performer, how to work with visiting teachers and, and the practicalities of making sure coffee is plentiful. And, and what do you think the most important message is from, from your book that your readers can take away? It started really from Barnaby Lennon in one of his lovely books. Um, he says he says there are 190, 195 countries in the world. And he said, why do we expect our pupils to learn just those which they might have a chance of visiting or ask to learn the capitals of or the gross domestic product of those countries which are on the GCSE syllabus. Why don't we expect them or give them the chance to learn all about them, about all about all of them? And I thought that was the most striking idea, the idea that expectations were the, the, the most important thing we can have of our pupils, that actually when the, when the teachers get it right, the pupils can do absolutely anything. And that's a really rich thing. Um, I started from teaching some A-level material in year seven, just as an experiment. I had a delightful year seven that year and thought well let, let's try this let's see what happens and it what really was the most glorious thing because not only did a decent proportion of my year seven class master a-level material those that didn't and this is the most important thing were able to learn some of the basics some of the underpinnings the foundations i had to go through in order to get to the a-level material much better than had i had taught it separately and so the whole book really and the whole idea and really my philosophy of teaching if I have such a thing is well children can do anything if we allow them to do it. Mm, interesting how important do you think it is for young people to be independent thinkers? 
independent thinking is, is the most most fascinating part of actually all, all of this. Um, and it comes from all sorts of different things because part of it is knowledge and part of it is having sufficient knowledge at your fingertips that you can understand something at first glance without having to think too hard about it, without, as they, they, they say, overloading your your working memory. And so part of the way we are trying to develop independent thinkers is by our teaching of that knowledge, which we think is absolutely essential. And that really does put a, a great onus on the, the teacher to have a really deep and a flexible knowledge about the subject, to know how pupils learn, to learn the sequence in which you present materials, to know what the, the mistakes pupils are going to make, and have that rich store of stories and anecdotes and analogies and silly ways of teaching things which which are so powerful but then it's and i can't believe we've got this far in a podcast about music without using the p word and then it's practice because of course practice is the one thing musicians know better than any other teacher and practice is at the is at the heart of all learning which is to say when i play my piano concerto not that I do play piano concertos anymore, but when I used to, um, you break down that piano concerto down into, into the smallest constituent parts. You understand the component parts. You master them by repeating them over and over again in a way which is actually quite hard work. And once you've mastered a couple that belong together, you fit them together and then practice that unit and then build it up from the smallest components of knowledge, because that's what we're talking about, to, uh, to the big picture. And that effortful learning that deliberate way of rehearsing knowledge of knowing that actually hard work i mean really quite hard work because real practice is truly exhausting um i mean you can't if you're doing proper practice you can only do three or four hours a day and you have to lie down and sleep because it really is deeply exhausting to do um is a real lesson that actually you have to work hard for knowledge there's also feedback involved of course because when i'm learning my concerto I take it to my teacher and the first thing my teacher does is to make me perform. And my teacher says, well, look, here we are. This is where we are at this point. These are the things you need to work on next. These are the things that are good. These are the ways to work on it. And that immediate and instantaneous feedback on a performance, again, it's a model of what great teaching looks like. And then the other thing about, the other thing I suppose I, I should talk about at this point is failure. I mean, sometimes we are not very good at letting children fail. And we don't prepare them for the psychological demands of later on in life uh, because they've never been allowed to fail. And one of the things I'm most proud of, I think, and all music teachers are most proud of, it's music is the one place where you can fail safely. And we almost, we all fail as performers because there's no such thing as a perfect performance of any piece of music. And that sense of going in and doing what we can at this moment and learning from it, and it's okay that it's not perfect, is a really, really powerful lesson which I suppose we should make more explicit because failure is a really, really important way of developing resilience, of understanding how learning works and actually of just becoming becoming a human being because we are, we're all doomed to fail all the time and we just pick ourselves up and what's the quote, try better. Well, I just wanted to explore with you, Martin, is this, this idea about being outstanding. Do you think that we put too much pressure on ourselves as teachers so not not looking at the, the the students and i'm thinking in particular you know this this idea about we we want obviously to be the best we can be we all want to be out, outstanding teachers um but do we put too much emphasis on those kind of labels 
I don't use the word outstanding once in the book. And I think that's really, that's really important and deliberately so. Um, simply because it's a word which has become so um, freighted with, with politics. And you, you talked about pressure, I think, didn't you? Mm, yeah. It's interesting because there are different types of, of pressure and expectation. Because as a leader of a big department, I need to be certain that what goes on in the classrooms and what my visiting teachers do um, is the best that they can be for my pupils. So certainly I am very aware of what they do and I try to set a good example and I try to help all my colleagues to be the best teachers they possibly can be. And I hope that they all that I think that they do the same for me. So there's that aspect of leadership, but there's also, I'm not sure pressure is actually the right word. I think it's probably responsibility because if you as a teacher don't go into a lesson with the knowledge, the full knowledge that this might be the only chance this year eight gets to hear my lesson about sonata form. Okay, I'm going to teach it again next year, but they're not going to receive it again. It's incredibly, it's an incredible responsibility. Now, that having been said, one of the things in the book is hopefully some of the things which it's possible, some of the ways it's possible to, to be less pressured within a school. Some things about subject knowledge, for example, that knowledge of what to teach when, how pupils learn, particularly the material that you're expecting them to learn, how best to present it, and indeed how best to explain it. It's that thing about the craft of teaching, because the more skillful you are as a teacher, the less pressure there is on you, because you know that this is going to work, and you have the resources to explain it in this way, and this way, and this way, if it doesn't work the first time. That depth of knowledge, that depth of People call it pedagogical knowledge, but it's actually just knowing about how pupils learn your subject, which is a very rich thing. And I suppose it goes back to that idea of um, music teachers in a way being slightly different. So I think the better the teacher you are, the more you know of your subject, the more skillful you are in your planning and your craft. Um, that responsibility is one that it's possible to bear. And, and as you say, sharing best practice is really important, isn't it? Absolutely. It's also an encouragement because actually good enough is good enough. We can't all deliver that perfect that perfect lesson every time. There are times when you are rushing as a music teacher from a, a rehearsal at lunchtime into, into your lesson after lunch and you really haven't got time to do anything except refill a, a coffee cup, think through an explanation and, and go in. But if that explanation is something that you've practised beforehand, if that explanation is something you've honed over over the years, you can just run through it and say, yes, this is how I'm going to do this. And it is possible to, well, survive in teaching, thrive in teaching, take great mm -hmm. joy in teaching, actually, because the, the fun bits are in when seeing the pupils respond and the, 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 the pupils actually learn something, that brightness you get in their eyes when suddenly they think, OK, they have understood this. And that's a wonderful thing. And, and you hinted there, didn't you, about music teachers being a little bit um, different from other teachers. Can you just go into a little bit more depth what you mean when you make that statement? It's one of the conceits of the book that actually every chapter starts with music teachers are, are different. And, and we do like <laughs> to think we are. And I'm, I'm not sure we are in, in quite as different as sometimes we, we say we are. There are lots of differences. Um, one of which is we tend, to, even if there's one music teacher in a school, we tend to run quite large operations because we have visiting teachers and accompanists and examiners. 
there are lots and lots of people within the teams that we are we, we lead and we're responsible for. We're also a very public type of operation. People know the head and the deputy, but then the head of music, the director of music, the music teacher is the next most public person because they're standing there at the front, standing in front of the choir or the orchestra or behind the piano and people know who you are. And there's an awful lot of parental contact as well. You have to deal with, with the parents in, in a way that possibly any other head of department wouldn't. But then there's the other things that are different about it, because you are also working with children in so many different environments. You're working with children um, on the concert platform, in the classroom, and yes, in the corridor. And that that way of one interpenetrating the other, informing the other, that wonderful lesson you have just after the concert, when the, the year nine says, what exactly was that? And why were you doing that? What's, what's the, what exactly was that piece? It was amazing. But tell us some more about it. That, in some ways, is the most powerful lesson of all, because you get to reinforce what you've done um, in one dimension in, in, in another. So I think there are ways in which we are different and the ways in which we are completely the same as well. And the next question, because you mentioned this in the in your book quite a lot, is um, do you think being a music teacher is the best job in the world? Yes and no. It's clearly the answer to that. <laughs> Depends on the, the, the time of term and the time of day. Um, of course it is. Of course it is. What other job do you get where you get to make music with wonderful young people? What other job where you, you get to have the relationship you have with, with, with children, which is both within the classroom and without? What other subject gives you, my colleagues are going to argue with this, I'm sure, but what other subject gives you those sort of wide encompassing arms in, in which my passion for the music of Brahms and my pupil's um, passion for the latest rap music, what, what other subject is that breadth possible where children can find their own place? And I think that's something I really want to make key. That I want to say, look, whatever music department it is, there is going to be some pupil for whom that is the most important place in the world, the safe place, the place where they're happy, the place where they learn the most. Um, and that sense of being part of a, child, a children's lives of helping them to, to learn and become themselves um, is a rich and a wonderful thing. Music is incredibly powerful, isn't it, in, in all of our lives? Music, it's, it's a colossal thing, isn't it? Um, it's there as part of our lives all the time. It's often in the background to our lives, whether sort of consciously or not, there's music going on. Mm. And it, it's an incredibly powerful thing um, because it it gives that sense of access to something which is beyond ourselves. It gives us a sense that the sort of quotidian word, world is not all there is, that there is something beyond, that our senses can't quite comprehend the meaning of this. And it's incredibly powerful. Um, and you see it in the, the lives of the students. Back just before the pandemic, um, our orchestra celebrated its 60th birthday, the joint orchestra between um, be, between uh, King Edward VI High School and King Edward School, which is an extraordinary thing and has been for 60 years. And as part of that, we made a real effort to meet and reach out to and speak to old boys and old girls who've been part of the orchestra. And the memories that they came back with about the orchestra were incredibly vivid and charming and delightful, as you would expect. But actually, the overwhelming sense was just how important that music making was to them, just how much they remembered that beyond maybe what had gone on in the classrooms or even their friendship groups. It was the, the sense of doing something together. 
and I think part of the power of that is the power of the the collective. I, the orchestra, the the choir, the string quartet, the group of steel pans is is, is an extraordinary model of what the good life should be. Because you are performing as individuals, you're bringing your own skills and abilities to the ensemble, but actually you're subsuming your own individuality to the to the to the needs of the collective. You're adding both your skills, but you're also actually stepping back from yourself and actually being generous and open to others. And that working together, I think is, well, it's a model of a good society, I've always said, and I think that's absolutely true. Do you think you've learned anything about yourself in in terms of writing that book? One of the reasons for writing it was to become a better teacher. And I suppose I've learned simply by the act of articulating what I do and what I believe, and doing a great deal of research and background reading and trying to find the best ideas that are out there, um, I feel that I've developed an awful lot. I think I've also developed a certain humility, because when I go into a classroom and teach that perfect lesson that I try to articulate in the book, it's never going to go right. It's always going to go wrong in different and interesting ways. Um, and I think, well, okay, next time I'm going to try this. It, it, it's it's taught me to think about my practice much more. And it's it's been a it's been a really brilliant, brilliant way of developing as a teacher and to continue to develop as a teacher. And would you encourage other people to follow in your footsteps then? Absolutely. I mean, we all become different. We all become better teachers in different ways. Um, I enjoy writing. I enjoy reading. And that has been my way to develop. I think every teacher has their own way of developing. And I think it's simply the... It's the idea that it's right to try and become a better teacher. If we expect our pupils to learn well, perhaps we should be getting better at, at what we do as well. And how, however you do that, by whatever means, whether that's going to a conference or hosting a podcast or writing a book, I think these are all things which should be encouraged in all teachers. And that individuality, all teachers are different and each teacher will develop in a different way. And I think that's really important. Okay, so last question. I am sure that people listening to this will certainly want to go and check out the book. And I'm sure they'll be inspired by your book. It's absolutely brilliant. But if you had to pick out one person, only one, <laughs> who has inspired you, who would that be? And why did they make you feel so positive? Oh, goodness, that's an impossible question. And it's one That's of those why questions... I saved it till the end. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's one of those questions you feel there should be a correct answer to. You you should say some great educational expert, or I should say Robert Pascal, who taught me to write. He was my PhD supervisor, or, or um, Marin Olsop, who taught me so much about conducting. But actually, if I'm going to answer honestly, and I suppose one ought to be honest in these occasions, it's, it's my wife. Um, she's the most extraordinary um, has the most extraordinary moral sense about teaching, about the, the mission of teaching, about the value of children. And she's an extraordinary teacher herself. So actually, she's the one person that I will go to and say, how do I express this? How do I teach this, be this better? What do I do next? So I'm afraid it's Mrs. Lee. And we won't tell her until the podcast is released. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> Martin, can I say it's been an absolute delight talking to you today there are so many things there that that we've covered and and touched on um and i would 
really encourage our listeners to go out and, and buy the book. Um, so thank you so much for coming on and talking about it and sharing your knowledge and your, your wisdom. It's been a real pleasure. It's been brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. You have been listening to the Independent Teacher Podcast. If you like listening to this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.